We have been going through Proverbs. We find ourselves in chapter 5 of our series through the summer, at least, not through the whole book of Proverbs, but we're about halfway through. And each week, we've had kind of a verse memory challenge, if you will. So I decided I would put my money where my mouth was, kind of ask you how you're doing with that, but go through those five verses. We went through week one, Proverbs 1, 7, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I always get tripped up there. Wisdom and instruction. That's the next part there. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then we said Proverbs 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And then when we were at the beach, we said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And then in last week, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart, or in other translations, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the streams of life. And then this week, Proverbs 5.23, which I really want to talk about in the context of Proverbs 5, he dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. And so that's how we come into this week, and another way we can check ourselves with where we're walking through this series as I thought it'd be really good to kind of give us a five-question test. Kind of funny, but not funny in a way where we really want to be guarding our own hearts. And so I, I go to Cracker Barrel a lot. If you know Carrie and my five-year anniversary story, you know that was a nightmare. And um, we wound up, at, wound up at Cracker Barrel, which I thought was a really good idea. I'll tell the story some other time. Um, <laughs> Not very romantic, speaking about romance today, uh, but they have those little uh, peg golf games, and, and you know, if you mess them up, you get the scores and whatnot. So this is kind of like that test. You'll see why in a second, but there's five questions of the last week, a fool's status test. Give yourself these scores, zero, one, two, three, three is the highest score, and see how you're doing in the discipline of walking in wisdom. Are you fearing worshiping the Lord? That's what we did in week one. We learned that's the beginning of it. So how are you doing? Zero, one, two, three, give yourself a score. Say, I don't know if I'm doing that well, or maybe I'm really doing that well. Are you paying attention to the Spirit? Are you looking with spiritual eyes? Are you being attentive spiritually? Maybe rate yourself on that. At the beach, we talked about this at our baptism service. Are you calculating without God? That would actually, I should have done it calculating with God, Give yourself a score with with God. That would be a negative. You want to score on the positive there. Are you guarding your heart? Are you aware of the things that affect your heart spiritually? Are you guarding that, keeping that with all vigilance, taking in what's pleasing to God because that's what will come back out, or taking in negative things, that's what will come back out? And then finally, are you walking in the Word? It's really about the disciplines, which we'll talk about today. Are you been, have you been in the Bible? Have you been faithful in that? And so you give your scale scores. Of course, 15 is the highest you can get. So if you, this is the little triangle golf game thing. So if you get 12 to 15, I would say you're walking in wisdom. That's great. If you get 8 to 11, you're kind of wise. If you get 4 to 7, flirting with folly. And if 1 to 3, you are being a fool. Or as it says in the Cracker Barrel, you're just plain dumb. <laughs> I just didn't feel like I could say that because my wife would say, you call people dumb. That's not nice. So... That's kind of a gauge of how am I doing in the spiritual... This whole summer has been about walking in wisdom, keeping away from folly, and especially as we come to Proverbs 5, I pray that be true of us, that we walk in the wisdom of the Lord, not in folly. With that, I'm going to read Proverbs 5. I'm going to read all 23 verses. I'm going to go back through it in the, the most faithful way we can, that what we just read, that we are a Bible-believing community 
And we want to confront all of this in the scriptures and learn from it. Um, This is Solomon's words of wisdom to his son. He says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Toward that end, I would ask that you would just be praying that we are not led astray by folly, but that we would seek the Lord's wisdom. You pray as you would ask God to speak to you, and I'll pray for us collectively as a body. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do trust in the wisdom of your word. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would be saturated with your glory and goodness in ways that we desire to honor you. Father, keep our foot from folly, that we might walk in in your wisdom and, and help us, Lord. We beg of your mercy to help us so that we might live for your glory alone. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So the disclaimer on this message is that sex and sexual struggle and immorality is something we just don't talk about a lot in the church. It's taboo, it's avoided, it's private. And meanwhile, and here's the conflict I had, our culture is saturated in it. Our culture is bombarded with it through media, through Hollywood, through images, tempted and lured towards it by images. Our smartphones are like a doorway for that. Uh, Wi-Fi and homes, networks, you name it, it's all around. You look at the, the Hollywood scene and you look at commercials and, and you guys know because if you watch Super Bowl commercials, like as the years go by, it's like, wow, our kids can't even watch these things anymore. And Satan is destroying people through it. And that's the, the big thing that we ought to be aware of. And so I fully acknowledge this topic is, is difficult, if you will, and it might be difficult for some of you, and I fully acknowledge the audience which is present. And so when I think through, you know, preaching 
I think through the audience and the context, and you want to make the Bible as, as relevant to all people for sure, but you want to acknowledge the audience that you have. And so here's what I'd say about the five people groups that I believe are among us. First, I would say to the young people in terms of relevance, purity and sexual temptation is all around you, and you need to be wise about your choices because everyone you make will affect later relationship. And so if you're a young person here, middle school, high school, or even younger, Every choice you make affects your relationships down the road and affects your life. And that impurity is all around you, so be really careful in how you walk. It'll affect your future. To the singles among us, I would say this. Save yourself and delight in God alone. Can't imagine the temptation there, but if God would have you to be married, save yourself for that in every possible way in purity and delight in God alone. To the married among us, I would say we need a proper understanding, proper biblical understanding of sex and faithfulness to one's spouse. And I would say this, Proverbs 5 is the context that the Solomon says, celebrate that and enjoy the relationship that you have, but you need to understand that. And you need to be on the same page about that. To the divorced among us, if that's where you sit, look to Christ for redemption and healing. Maybe this is a difficult topic because you've been burned by it and hurt by it in the past. Christ can heal those past experiences and hurts. And to the older and widowed among us, you'd say, well, what does this have to do with me? I'd say, pray for the young people and invest in them. Model faithfulness and godly living to a young people and even a younger generation, these middle school and high schoolers that are struggling and being bombarded with this. And so all of us have a role here. I said that Proverbs, I want to emphasize verse 23 there uh, as I talk about when I was going to initially talk about this, it was going to be about broad discipline, but this talks about that he will die for lack of discipline because of his great folly, his unawareness, his lack of attention, his ignorance to the Bible, you name it, he's led astray. And we certainly don't want that in our life. And so when I originally looked at this text, I was going to deal with broad application and just be disciplined using adultery, sexual temptation as uh, as an application of that, but as a broad one. And so when I think about discipline and distraction, and I had this quote pulled aside for distractions, I just want you to listen to this, in the context of all things distracting, but especially in sexual temptation and its distraction. Listen to this. John MacArthur writes this. He says, The weight of so many distractions has a crushing effect on a person's relationship with Christ. It ruins our taste for spiritual things, and exuberance for spiritual service. It suffocates our passion for pursuing Christ and the intimate relationship he offers. It all grinds away at our soul. The blessings and joys of walking with him are crowded out by the myriad of these tiny details in life. I think that was profound in terms of distraction. This is what it does. It has an effect on your soul. And do not think, do not even think for one minute that the distractions of sex and temptation in this world does anything short of that. And so we dive into it. And I, I start by giving you an analogy. And I heard this and I thought it was a, a wonderful analogy on the topic of sex. Sex is like a fire. And think of it this way. In the context of a fireplace, which is the confines of God's design for marriage between a man and a woman, it brings warmth and enjoyment. But outside of the fireplace, it burns the whole house down. I thought that was a beautiful analogy of what that is like. 
You keep that in the fireplace. In our world, between a man and a woman, I feel like I always need to say that in our culture, sex belongs in that for warmth or enjoyment. You put it outside in any way, in any thought, in any degree, and it burns the entire house down. Now, what I want to do is I want to move through Proverbs 5, and I want to do it by way of moving just through six points um, and that will keep us kind of like on track. And it is a warning that he's writing about adultery to his son. And, and then you see the later part that we read about what marriage should look like. And it's about adultery, but it's certainly more than that. And so I want you to see that in the context of where we're living today. And the first point I would make is in verses 1 and 2 about awareness. Solomon is writing this, and he's basically saying, be aware. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Now, you have to stop here. Remember, Solomon was a wise man, but he was also sometimes relationally a fool. If you read through Ecclesiastes and you read and you know his struggle, he was tempted by multiple women, and here he is having learned the, the bad things that have come along the way. He's pleading with his son, my son, listen. Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. And then he says this word, which we talk about often, that you may keep discretion. We talk about that with our kids all the time, especially our daughters. Be discreet. Think about what you wear. Discretion, that meaning is, is about carefulness and cautiousness. Be aware. Be attentive. Be, use discretion when you walk and live. Pay attention, treasure Christ, and be fulfilled by him alone in a world full of temptation. He's pleading for this awareness that, that they would have, and on this topic particularly. And friends, I just think we're naive. I had two pastor friends, this is the context of my own colleagues here, in the last three years that had moral failures. And both of them would tell you, I didn't, I didn't even think that could happen to me. They were just naive about it. Sexual temptation all around them in a ministry, that's a thing for pastors. And, and, and they, they just like, I, I didn't want it to happen. And most of them didn't say, I wanted this to happen. They said, I, it just subtly, and Satan is subtle in the way that this world draws us in and tempts us. Famous last words from Christians who have fallen sexually, that would never happen to me. That's really what it is. And for you, if you struggle in that and you find yourself in this spot, you probably don't like where you are. And it's this naiveness. That's why we need to talk about it more and think about it and have people around us in accountability and pray about it more. He dies for lack of discipline. That's what the word says here. And so Solomon, begging for his son's attention, is pleading for, pay attention to this. And then he goes on to speak in that in verses 3 through 6. And I put on the screen here, fantasy versus reality. Because I think that's what he's really painting a picture of. And we know these two words all too well, especially regarding this topic in fantasy. He's saying, listen, this is what I think it looks like, but it doesn't really look like that. It's just a fantasy. It's not reality. He goes on to say, for the lips, it's seductive right away there, the lips of a forbidden woman, forbidden, right? It's like we always tell our kids. If it, I, somebody just told me this this week. He's a reader, and he said uh, he wants his kids to read books, and he says, he read an author, and the, the quickest way you can get kids to read books is he puts the book on the bookshelf and says, don't touch this, you can't read this, it's far too much for you. That's what it's going to be, right? Our temptation towards that. He says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. She's perfect. It's all fantasy. She's, it's, it's perfect. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. 
sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. He's saying, he's saying to his son, this is better than it appears because it is. I have a friend in ministry who's a pastor, and he says it this way, and hopefully you'll understand the context. He says, I, I've never met the woman in my dreams, but I've seen her a lot. That's what he says all the time. It's just an awareness, and it's not, he has a wonderful marriage with his wife, but he says, I've never met her because she doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. It's this fantasy of this creation dripping with honey, this temptation, this lure and appeal of the world. Satan destroys people with it, and it's not real. Offered honey, it appears sweet, but whatever leaves you, and I would this be true about pornography or anything else, whatever leaves you with a bitter aftertaste can't be honey. It just can't be. You're growing up in a world of temptation, young people. If you're living through that now, you know it, and it's going to bring death. Her ways, they don't bring life. They go down to death. And think about all the ways we're enticed through media, pornography, emotional connections. And Satan is subtle in that. And many affairs start because they're emotional. They, they, and, and, and Satan is very subtle in that because somebody finds you interesting at the workplace and you have a conversation and you strike it up and you aren't guarded and you're not paying attention. And that just evolves into something that it always does. And it's tempting and it's honey and it's beautiful. And Well, my husband doesn't pay attention to me like that or my wife doesn't pay attention to me like that. And it all comes up as this fantasy thing and the images that we're bombarded with, it's all fantasy. The amount of technology and airbrushing and you name it that comes out and it's all not even real. And you sit here and you say, like me, as we talked about a little bit at our staff meeting this week, we, we talked through some of this this week, and, and you think, well, I, don't, I would never commit adultery. You see, when Jesus came along, he turned that whole thing on its head, didn't he? In Matthew 5, 27 through 30, what does it say? He came along and he taught a little bit different. He said it this way, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, the actual act. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Jesus came onto the scene as he did with everything. And he said, this is not just like the actual act anymore. This is the thought and you've done it. And so if you're sitting here and say, well, I would never do that or I've never done that. The thoughts we have in a culture like this, the way that Satan manipulates that, the way that he burns, and I would say that again, burns images you see into your mind that often have a trouble getting out of your mind. He says, even the thought, are you aware and do you have a grip on fantasy and reality? You have a right grip on reality. Our young people especially need to know this because we train them about this all the time in everything about money and economics and everything. And I, I, this just came into my head. Our, we had to make some repairs on my daughter's car, and it cost a lot of money. And she said, well, Dad, we'll just get a new car. And I thought, what car are you going to get for that amount of money? That's like fantasy world, right? We teach our kids all the time. You need to have a real grip on what is real and right and true because our world is like imaginative in this 3D, like kind of like illusion way, and we see it so much. So he says, are you aware? 
in that way? And do you know fantasy reality? And then he comes to the warning in verses 7 through 11. He says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep, this is the emphasis here, keep your way far from her. Listen, do not go near the door of her house. Don't fool yourself that you can dabble in it and go near the door without repercussions from it. He says, don't go near the door. Don't even walk there. Don't even look at that. Don't even search that. Don't even pull that up. Don't go near that and think that you have control over it. Don't fool yourself. The lure of that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, said something about this in our naiveness, especially in sexual temptation. Because I think a lot of people in the church manage it and they think they have a good pulse on it whether that be uh, extramarital affairs or emotional affairs or pornography, whatever that is. And he said this, pretty profound. He said, be careful how you treat God, my friends. You may say to yourself, I can sin against God, and then, of course, I can repent and go back and find God whenever I want him. You try it, and you will sometimes find that not only can you not find God, but that you do not even want to. You will be aware of the terrible hardness in your heart, and you can do nothing about it. And then you suddenly realize that it is God punishing you in order to reveal your sinfulness and your vileness to you. And there is only one thing you can do. You turn back to him and you say, Oh God, do not go on dealing with me judicially, although I deserve it. Soften my heart. Melt me. I cannot do it myself. You cast yourself utterly upon his mercy and his compassion. Don't be foolish enough to think that you can play with fire outside of the fireplace and not get burned by it. It has a great effect. It will change you. It says, do not go near the door. Why? Because when we, when we disobey, our hearts harden. And this is applied generally in any sin. But when we continue to disobey, and in this area of sexual purity, when we continue disobeying of God, our hearts get hard. And that's what verses 9 through 11 in the context, if you read those and you're like, what is that really saying? Lest you give your honor to others, your years to the merciless. Strangers take their fill of your strength, their labors go to the house, and the end of your life you've grown, your flesh is consumed. He's saying it has impact wider than just you on everyone. It depletes a man financially. Our choices are, it depletes a man in their career that he might have or a woman in families, by integrity, and at the end of your life, you groan because of the choices you made in this area, a flesh and body consumed. And usually this leaves the person who has violated God's law for sex alone and crushed and without anyone around him. I'm thinking of the particular friend that I had in ministry. His, life, his wife and children abandoned him. It was too painful. By God's grace alone would they be restored, but he found himself alone in a ministry that loved him, all of them shocked, a family that loved him, shocked by his behavior, alone and crushed. And there is only one remedy, one friend for sexual fools, and his name is Jesus. And if you find yourself there right now, he wants you to know, and I would love for you to know that your sexuality is a gift from God for his glory and your blessing, and he wants you to have a right understanding of the fireplace. Sex is a good thing. 
But you have to have a right understanding and a right knowledge of how to use it. And the best way that I can give example to this, especially if you're a young person looking, is, is this way. I have an iPhone. And iPhones, I, I'm an iPhone guy, so if you're an Android person, uh, second level. Um, oh, it's a highly sophisticated device. It's capable, so it's just a smartphone, that's fine. It's a highly sophisticated device that is capable of many things, but it's also fragile. Recently, outside of the case, I just crushed the screen on another one. It's fragile. And to see if I go and I take this iPhone and I use it to hammer in this nail, I have little knowledge of what this should be used for. I'll destroy it. If I take this highly sophisticated, amazing piece of technology and I use it to hammer in this nail, I'm a fool. And the same would be true of how God designed sex. In a certain context, in a certain way, used wrongly, it would be damaging and it would have terrible outcomes. The other reason I use the phone as an illustration because it represents something in our culture that especially as parents, we don't really think about unlimited access to a world full of whatever you want. This isn't where I scold all of you, but I warn all of you, if you have Wi-Fi in your homes, do you have a filter? There are plenty, and, and if you want to see me afterwards about accountability tools, there's softwares that you can add to your devices, browsing histories. Are you even aware of that? Some of it might have a cost, but it might cost you otherwise. I have to say this about him, and he came in like the first day of his internship, Landon, young guy, hopefully he doesn't mind me using this example, and he came and he put his phone across the table and he says, I want you to log in, be my accountability partner on this. And I thought, that's maturity. Handed me his phone, I had to log in and be a, a guy that if he looks at anything bad, I get a notification about that. I've had youth group guys in the past who have done that. It's got the capability of being a raging fire. And we just like treat it like, ah, oh, whatever. You know, and I, I sat with parents in youth ministry that, that would struggle with this. And I mean, cable, internet, you name it. And here's the pipeline, the sewage pipeline coming right in your house unfiltered. And parents would be like, well, I don't know, but I need it for work. I'm like, man, if you knew your kid was struggling with that, would you not just throw that computer out the window? You could damage the rest of his life, all his relationships. Damage his whole family. Like, think about that stuff wisely. And this isn't just about young people, by the way. I hope we're tracking with that. Relationships, Facebook is another one. I don't, I'm not going to stand up here and make a bunch of recommendations, but I've, I know people that have gotten in trouble because they've connected with old girlfriends or old boyfriends privately through text or Facebook messages. What are you doing? Be smart about that. Does your spouse know about these things? So the Lord wants us to know and, and be aware of this fantasy and reality and the temptation and the realness of it and the, and, and the realness of the problems, but the fantasy of what is in a virtual world. But he says, there is a way back to healing if we continue in our text, but you have to be real and raw and honest and face into it. That is what you see in verses 12 through 14. You see the tension of repentance. How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I look at this and I see this man who has learned from mistakes and he's like, this is the mess I found myself in. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. 
this image of a fallen man caught in sexual impurities and now has an opportunity to face into that and turn back to God in repentance. The sexually foolish man knows now that he has to face himself. And friends, if you have sinned in this way, you live in a tension at the brink of utter ruin, but praise God for the gospel. There is hope. The prodigal can come home. You may feel ashamed, which sexual sin, sin also always leaves people feeling shame, but there's hope that you can come home. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Jesus when he came and said, I've come to heal the lame, the sick, the captives, to set them free. He, he offers that freely to anybody. That's why when the adulterous woman to pick her up and said, like, I'm going to meet you where you're at, pick you up, go and sin no more. Like, we're welcome to Jesus. That's beautiful for sinners, vile sinners that sin against God constantly. We are welcome to come back because Christ and his work in the cross because he paid for sin and he's ready to embrace you and receive you back and restore you and transform you and make you into a new image that you can be washed and sanctified by his blood, that you can fall at his feet, but you must fall at his feet in worship and ask him to save you and especially in this area to help you. There is hope. It's at this point in the text that Solomon gives his son the true message the heart of it, the meaning of God's gift of sex in the confines of the fireplace, the marriage bed between a man and a woman, just as God designs and created in point five, water from your own well. He said, drink from your own cistern, flowing water. Should your springs be scattered abroad, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers, no one but you. Let your fountain, he prays this over them. This is a prayer of blessing. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely, dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. And then he uses this word twice, be intoxicated, always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated with something else? He says, be intoxicated in it. Enjoy it. Water is the metaphor used. Why? Because it satisfies a raging thirst of sexual temptation, and it satisfies that in the context of a marriage. He says, this is your fireplace. It was designed to be joyful and be wonderful, delighting with your spouse, and God created it for this purpose, and he's saying, satisfy this husband with your wife and wife with your husband. But here is, here's what he is not saying. Listen to this. This is how we typically treat this in the church. He said, here's what he's not saying. Hey, there's bad temp temptations all around you. You need to just have a will of iron. Buckle down and white knuckle it through life. Have a strong resolve. No. He's saying, that's why I gave marriage. Delight in your wife. Enjoy it. In fact, be intoxicated with it. Within the confines of your own fireplace. Drink water from your own well. Your own cistern. And for husbands and wives in the room, you need to work through this, and it will take time if that has been broken. And here's some counsel to talk about it, be honest with expectations about it, your struggle with it, with each other. That's something that a lot of couples maybe don't talk about, honesty in that way. And here's just a broad brush that I would say to this. There's a lot of different other ways that this wouldn't be applied, but in the context of a biblical marriage where you honor each other, here's what I would say to wives. Help your husbands in this, your water for a raging thirst. My wife and I had this conversation this week and talking about this message and bounce things off her all the time. And, and I said, 
you know, I tell every young couple when I marry them and stand, I said, don't, I look at the woman and then the guy and I say, don't let your husband look anywhere else. Don't let your wife look anywhere else. There's a need that ought to be met and enjoyed in that context. We don't talk about that a lot. So wives, help your husbands. I think men typically struggle more with sexual temptation, but I know women can struggle with that too. But your water, but then on the other side, I would say husbands, be honest with your wives. Your wife is a cistern. When I think of a cistern, I think of fragility. I think of someone that's fragile and isn't just somebody that can be abused in that way. And so be careful, demonstrate care. See, Paul's writing when you get to 1 Corinthians 7 starts to make a lot of sense when you think this way. In verses 4 and 5, when he says, do not deprive each other, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. Can you back up one? But the wife does. I'm just going to stop there real quick and just say, like, husbands that are domineering like to use the first part of that verse, but not the second one. And so make sure you read the whole thing. Moving on. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying you have a lack of self-control. Like be aware of that. In the context of marriage, that's a really good way to enjoy what God has created so that you can be controlled. And so understand that rightly and biblical. And of course, there are situations where that can be just terribly abused. The point of what he is saying is, in the context of marriage, in Christian marriage, this is Ephesians 5 stuff. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church, giving himself up for her, sanctifying her with the water from the word. That Do that. Be careful in that. Love your wife like that. And equally, wives, respect your husbands. Submit to leadership in that way. Do this thing together knowing that you complement one another. Love and respect in committed marriage. And Solomon, though, is writing about this specifically, the pleasure of sex, and says, enjoy one another, which means be crazy in love with one another. Be intoxicated. Love each other well romantically. It's at this point you see the perfect picture of romance, which is a beautiful thing, And you might be saying, yeah, I want that. And God says, it can only be enjoyed my way. And he comes to our final point. You'll see it on the screen. It just says, decide. And that's what you see in the last three verses here. You have to make a decision about how you treat purity, how you treat sex within a marriage, how you treat a marriage in general. And he says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Why would you go towards that end? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. It's that, like, God sees everything anyway. You have to decide what path you're going to take. He ponders all his path. The, iniquity, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he has held fast in the cords of his sin. There's the temptation. Don't do that. You will die. He dies for lack of discipline because of his great folly. He has led astray. Decide what you're going to do. Once you understand the biblical picture of a godly marriage, You understand the fireplace that God has created. Decide what you're going to do with the fire. Decide what you're going to do. It brings to light the decision of your ways. Ponder those paths. Choose correctly. Sin will ensnare you. It will bind you. It will put shackles and chains around you. So be wise. Are you aware of the fantasy world that sexual temptation is? Are you cognizant of that in such ways that you could 
garner some kind of self-control and do not go near the door of those things. Don't be tempted by those things. Keep yourself pure. Understanding the biblical picture of drinking from your own well, but you must make a decision. And so here's how I would close just by way of application, and they're brief and they're simple, but for some of you, they might be really profound. Number one, guard your hearts. Put up protections. Are you taking in things that you shouldn't be taking in? Are you knowingly going towards things that you know are not good for your soul? So many times we think, like, I'm, again, manage it. I'm good. Are you aware of all those things that influence? And some of this in our culture is so subtle that you don't even realize its effect. From the movies we watch, to the culture of commercial, to the magazines we read, you name it, to the news feeds on our, on our, our phones, it doesn't matter. Some of it's so subtle. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So that's the first one, and I would say put up accountability protections if that's what you need. Then find somebody. Find me. Find somebody else. I'll help you find somebody else wherever you are. The second thing I would say is, and this might be hard for some of you, I know repentance is always difficult, but you need to repent and make changes. Maybe you're in here and you struggle with a sexual sin that no one else knows about it. Here's the time to turn towards Christ. Here's the time to turn back and surrender to God. Here's the time for change in that, but you need the Lord's mercy and the Lord's grace and his help in that. Seek help and seek it from other people too. Myself, Russell, made available to come and walk with you through that. It would be a tough road, yes, and it might have consequences, yes, but it could bring healing to your soul. The beauty of the gospel is that everything that you think could never be repaired, Christ comes and repairs. That's what we celebrate every week here. Trust him in that way, and that's the third. Pray, I would say pray, and pray, 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 and trust Christ for redemption and wisdom. When you're honest before God and you come to sin, I just want to trust you that what you're saying, that you are perfect delight, you're the highest treasure. I want to trust you at that word. I want to flee from all this other stuff because God, if you're promising me that you're worth it, that you're of the greatest delight, I want to put myself in faith there. Guard me from these other things. And if, and if you find yourself in a place where you have to repent and turn from that, trust Christ enough to bring the healing and redemption for your soul. And praise God for the gospel. There is much more I could say on this topic. I think I've said enough, though, for now. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us as a people of God to be pure. I want to pray for marriages to be healed and restored and fruitful. I want to pray. Let's pray together. Amen. He indeed makes everything glorious. So even if you're here today and you've experienced a lot of brokenness and uh, ugliness in the area of sexuality, he is able to redeem that and to make it glorious. I wanted to leave us with this verse from 1 Peter 2, verse 12. This is the Apostle Peter writing to exiles, those that were being persecuted and suffering. And um, we are exiles on this earth. This earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And we are among a culture, again, as Craig talked about, that, that has much confusion and much pain in this area. So I think this word speaks to us, that we can be a light to the world 
in this area, and often we haven't been as the church, unfortunately. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We want the way that we handle this area as a church to be an occasion for the world to glorify God. So let that be said of us. And as you are sent, do that in the world. Let it be an occasion for the world to glorify God. You are sent, go in peace.